This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Well, Sakara, you've uh, had the moment that you hoped for to make your first Olympic team. Just take us through the emotion right now. Well, emotionally, unbelievable. <laughs> the fact that I am an Olympian, no matter what is said or anything, I am an Olympian. A dream since I've been young. I'm pretty sure everybody's dream as a track athlete. So being happy is an understatement. Being excited, nervous, all of those feelings. Proud in one. I'm highly blessed and grateful. That's now courtesy of NBC Sports. If there's been a major moment of recent memory in Olympic track and field coverage. There's usually been one individual who's been there to witness it and conduct the interviews after those moments have happened, both with American athletes and athletes from all around the world as records have been shattered throughout the Olympic Games. And the man on the line right now on the Circle Resort and Casino's hotline with us right now, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score is Lewis Johnson. You can find Lewis on Twitter at LewisJohnsonMG in just a few short days, weeks, what have you. Later on this month, we will all be watching the Olympic Games over in Tokyo. Lewis, you, you thought that it would be a year ago that, that yourself and all your counterparts at NBC Sports would have been headed over to Tokyo, and so much has had to be sort of fast-forwarded to get to this point it's really a, a herculean task that a lot of folks around the globe have pulled off so are you ready my friend to be able to take your talents over to tokyo and be a part of the olympic coverage anthony first it's great to be with you my friend uh, miss seeing you miss catching up and connecting i'm almost ready um <laughs> you wouldn't believe this right you wouldn't believe this right now but i'm driving around my city and you know what i can't find what's that luggage luggage <laughs> The world is traveling again. I, I gave my oldest son a, 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 my piece, my luggage uh, to head overseas with, his, with, with my wife uh, yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get myself two new bags so I can go to Tokyo. You know, just big bags, fresh, full of clothes. Because, you know, I can't buy anything over there. Right. And um, I can't find any luggage. So um, I'll be ready <laughs> shortly on the 18th when I head over there. <laughs> Lewis is working on it. Lewis is working on getting himself together. So apparently, so one thing I've noticed, there's there's a short supply of catfish for some reason, as I've been looking for it, and apparently luggage as well. That's good to know. Can, you know impart <laughs> yeah. some knowledge on the listeners out there. Uh, we, we played the moment coming in out of the commercial break there, Lewis. And, and you, you've yeah. conducted so many different interviews over the years that you've been 
in this business and covering different sports. But that that moment for Shakari Richardson just made her a sensation, not just the, the blazing hair and the blazing speed that is so awestrucking, <laughs> awestrucking to so many people, but then the human element that came out of that as well. Before even getting into all the details of, of some of the, the situation where we sit right now, but just that as as a as a athlete yourself and as a broadcaster, the human element of what an athlete like Shakira Richardson is able to display to people is a special part of the Olympic coverage, right? There is no question. I mean, I think people watch the Olympics for two one of two reasons. Either a you know they're Olympic junkies because they they know the stats, they know the history, they want to see who does what next, or b people who really may not follow sports that closely, but they get connected to the human interest story. That. Uh, B reason is really my main reason for loving sports. I love the human interest uh, uh, side of things, and why it's, which is why the uh, my my opportunity to work the Olympics, uh, Tokyo be my 11th, is always incredibly special. And it's for reasons like we saw that that moment when she finished 100, uh, running with 1086, and then you know it, it, I wish I could share with people they could see what happens in between athletes finishing, and then when they are I'm there with them to talk with them. It, it is absolute chaos. It is emotional chaos because people are running everywhere. They're trying to absorb the fact that they, they won. The heat had us all delirious because it was 90-something degrees every day on the track there. And then when Shakari sprints up on the stands, you know, I'm counting. One, two, three. Okay, there's first, there's second. And I'm losing people. And she runs up on the stands. And she falls into the, the, the arms and the lap of her grandmother. And there was something special about that. I ran up the steps. Thought we might conduct the interview there. I said, hey, let's go back into the track because you've got your teammates down there. So we went back down. And all this is happening while you're showing the replays. And so when she began to speak and then she talked about her family and then when she dropped the the comment about losing her biological mom, you know, it's very important. You know, us being in television, you got to listen. Got to be a good listener. And she said that. I'm like, what did you say? Mm -hmm. And then she went on to explain it. And then that split second, Anthony, I believe she captured the heart of not just America, but the world, because people began to respond, you know, from all over the place. And I believe she went from having, Lord have mercy, here we are, you know, looking at social media stats to give somebody validity. But anyway, uh, she went from having 60,000 Instagram followers that night to over a million the next day. I mean, that's crazy. It is really remarkable how the story has taken off and taken a number of turns here. And I referenced early in the show, of course, a lot of folks know. Then there was the, the report of the failed drug test that came out from her smoking marijuana reportedly. And she was very forthright and forthcoming about the fact that, that yes, she did it. And it was in reaction to just dealing with the, the mental of the mental toll that losing her biological mother took on her. What's the, the latest that you can share from your knowledge of, of where things sit? Because as, as all we know it at the moment, it sounds like her, her Olympic exploits may not happen this time around. Yeah. And I, I, that, that's all I know right now. I think that I'm in the same place with that. I don't believe she'll be part of a team USA. Um, and, and I'm going to say, you know, listen, for, for people who get themselves in situations and have to do some damage control, I thought that, that she and her team handled it the best way you could. You know, Shakari showed in that interview there after the race her authentic self. She shared from her heart what was going on. And then I thought the quick response to come on the Today Show was the right move. And once again, she was authentic. She owned it. She apologized to her family, her fans, and to her sponsor. But she owned it. And she explained why she did it. Now, the rules state that you can't, you know, have THC in your system. You can't have that in your system or smoke during competition. So because of that, she, you know, she was in violation. 
But if you notice, uh, she could have gotten anywhere from three, from one month to two years in terms of suspension. And they gave her 30 days, the least amount of, of, of time because of, I don't know why they did that, but I, I guess they believed her story and what have you. And it, it seems to make sense to me. Uh, so she forfeits her 100-meter uh, performance, and, we're not, and I don't think she'll compete at all. But, yeah, she just, she just I thought, for somebody who was dealing with a lot, seemed to handle it the right way. And, and the other point, underlying point, Anthony, which, you know, we cannot ever forget as sports fans and as human beings, there is no way to just completely ignore this pandemic like it's over and all the racial unrest mm-hmm. and all the tension that some of us in our communities are still feeling the effects of. And so many of these athletes came into those trials a year later, having dealt with the pandemic. Some of them had COVID. Some of their family members had COVID. Some of them lost family members. I've never heard so many athletes talk about a family member they lost in an interview than I've never had that in my career. I had multiple people do that. And then on top of the racial unrest, so a lot of the African-American athletes were dealing with that and carrying that baggage into the meat. So, you know, it wasn't just the fact that she lost her biological mom, I would assume. There are a lot of other factors that were playing on the minds of her and other athletes. And so all that came to bear in the trials, and I think some of that will carry on over to the Olympics as well. The great Lewis Johnson with me on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, Lewis, of course, most notably amongst the, the main coverage team of the track and field, but you can also see him on the Winter Olympics with NBC Sports. You remember him interviewing uh, athletes in the NBA through NBC's coverage in years past. If there's been a big event, Lewis Johnson has been a part of it. And uh, moving beyond the Shakira Richardson story for the moment, because there are so many other really cool and exciting stories for track and field athletes headed over to Tokyo right now. And we have seen so many great moments over the years from Allison Felix and what she's been able to accomplish in track and field. Yes. Uh, just from you who knows the sport so well, to see what she's done after having a child recently as well. I mean, are, are, are you, frankly, are you even surprised she's been able to come back to the extent that she has to make yet another Olympic Games? I, I, I'm not. I am not. And I think that uh, according to what I heard from Allison, you know, face to face and, and, and of course, with all the interviews she's done, you know, she had a dispute with a shoe company and they, they parted ways. And uh, she uh, had some difficulty as she uh, brought Cameron in the world, had to have a C-section. And, and uh, she decided that she was going to show everybody who doubted her that she could absolutely uh, make it back to another Olympic Games. It wouldn't be easy. But more importantly, she wanted to show her daughter. She wanted to show her daughter Cameron what was possible for mommy to do, which in turn down the line will, will give her strength to know that she can accomplish anything. Uh, going to Capitol Hill and testifying in front of Congress about uh, the issue of uh, how many black women are losing their lives in childbirth and wanting to see some attention put on that. And then uh, beginning to pin this letter to her daughter Cameron just about what mommy's been doing since people told her that she couldn't come back from having the baby. Uh, we rolled a beautiful feature uh, during the trials, uh, showing her standing on a stage, uh, sort of reading part of that letter that she's written to her daughter. And so um, I believe that she was motivated by her child to show not just the world, but her, that she could absolutely come back. And I mean, I mean, it's just it's just incredible. Uh, Allison will go out uh, on top as one of the most loved, beloved and respected athletes around the world. And her daughter is going to have something to be very proud of as she grows up against to understand what mommy did. 
and Allison ends up making it in the 400. She competed in the, the finals of the 200 in the Olympic trials as well, but the, the field was just so blazing in the 200 yeah. that she narrowly yeah. missed that one as well. And I, I found the 200-meter final for the women to be maybe the most compelling event. I, I watched just from a sheer competition standpoint without the additional storylines of it, just the way that they blazed through that finish. I really thought that was impressive. Yeah, it, it was really crazy. I mean, you know, you have you had some athletes competing who had just been in the NCAA finals uh, there at the same track a few weeks before and were able to come back out there and still do well. So you're always going to have in America this uh, just, just incredible pot of talent that keeps rising up through the collegiate track and field system, and then they show up for these big events and do something great. And Allison did well. Uh, you know, listen, she's on the team in the 400. She'll run the 4x4 relay. I know they'll put her on that team. So she still has a chance to leave uh, the Olympic Games with, with more medals. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was it was awesome. And, again, you got to remember, they were doing it in relentless heat, Ant. Uh, at one point, I put a thermometer on the track on the, one of the hottest days, and it got to like 140 degrees, 145. So when they were – we kept having all these false starts. Part of it we thought may have been the system or the, or the, or the uh, starters, what have you. Oh, uh, why did I say that? Now my Twitter's gonna blow up. They're gonna be they, they're gonna be killing me. I'm not criticizing the starters, okay? So just put your phone down. But it, uh, Auto Bolden took care was, of that for you a couple of times too. Exactly, exactly. I heard it. But you know, when when they say runners on your mark, you know what do they do? They put their knees on the track. The track is 140, 135, 140 degrees, and then you got to put your hands on it. Uh, and so it may be a little bit hard to stay still. You know, I'm not sure, but. Uh, it was super hot. So, yeah, that was the 200. All these events were just great performances. But they certainly were. And it seems like there's a number of athletes who are either on pace to maybe challenge a world record, perhaps even defeat a world record. Grant Holloway oh, yes. in the 100-meter oh, hurdles yes. being one of those as well. I mean, do, do you think there's a chance we will see a number of different world records set on the track in Tokyo? Absolutely, absolutely. And I was not surprised one bit that we saw uh, some things happen at the trials. Again, a year delayed, dreams deferred, on hold, waiting, pandemic, all the other things. Everything's pinned up, and you finally get the chance to come out, and it just explode. We saw it in the women's 400-meter hurdles. Uh, that was just an incredible race there to see Dalila Muhammad, who uh, was the current record holder, finishing second. And and then um, the young lady, I, I can't call her name right all of a sudden. Uh, Sydney uh, she McLaughlin. was just Sydney McLaughlin, you're right, coming up and just working with Bobby Kersey, had her in the indoor season running short hurdles, 60 hurdles, using her opposite leg as the lead leg, building up that strength and confidence in both legs, and then, of course, putting the training on her that nobody else could probably do. And she came out there, and like I think it was like her third or fourth race, and she broke the world record. That is going to happen again at the Games. I am sure that Grant Holloway is probably going to get that world record at the Games. Um, it is just it's just amazing what we're seeing. But uh, I, I just think at this time that, 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 that it's going to happen. With this additional year that the athletes have had to experience here, and you, you talked about it here in, in detail during our discussion here, and like you referenced, a, a lot of the athletes referenced that in your interviews with them throughout the trials after races would finish. The additional toll that took on them, from a sheer competitive standpoint, in, in what way do you think it, it has either – enhanced or maybe detracted from from what may be able to be accomplished in Tokyo do you see do you think we'll see the athletes at their peak yeah that that's a great question uh, Anthony because at the trials I got mixed mixed uh, answers on that because for some people you know the extra year helped them heal up from an injury uh and uh and be able to come back and compete if they had to compete last year they wouldn't have made it 
I know that was true in the uh, in the in the in the triple jump. Um, and so um, I think for some athletes, it's going to give them this really this chance again to give them a chance to kind of get a mental break if they had the right coach and knew how to just say, listen, this is not going to happen this year, and then kind of ramp things up for the trials. You got to remember for for a lot of the athletes, the trials will be harder than the games, uh, depending on your event. So trying to peak for the Olympic trials and deal with, you know, sometimes in that area, in Eugene, you've got a bad issue with, uh, with, um, with um, uh, allergies. Uh, didn't seem to be too bad this year, but then the heat was really something. But the competition is unbelievable. So um, I think a lot of the athletes now will kind of ramp down a little bit and they'll start to come back up again and then have to deal with this lockdown situation we'll be in in Tokyo. I mean, they told me, they already told us we can't take public transportation anywhere can't go to a, a, a restaurant, bar, can't do sightseeing. Can't do, I can't do anything. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm on lockdown. A venue, hotel. Venue, hotel. And so the athletes are going to have to experience the same thing. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a different experience. But I'm so, so thankful we're having it, and I know the athletes are too. I mean, I, I know you're, you know, you're going to be there in a work capacity, but are they at least going to give you access to – Locate a decent bottle of wine somewhere, or, or have someone locate one for you from somewhere, Lewis. I mean, you, you're gonna be there. You got to unwind at some point. Yeah, I can't. I, I can't be guaranteed to that. I mean, we we're gonna be at the mercy of the hotel, which is supposed to be right across the street from the track, which is great. If I can, if we can walk to work, that'll be awesome. Uh, versus a you know 30, 40 minute bus ride. So um, I'll find. You know what, Ant? You just you just made me think about something. So when I if I ever do find these two bags that I'm looking for, I'm gonna. <laughs> Stop into my favorite store, and I'm going to take a couple of bottles of red with me, just as like these are the emergency go. red. I'll have I'll have a couple of bottles of emergency <laughs> red with me. <laughs> I like it. That is a quality idea. You know, foreshadowing, just in case, so you can be ready when you That's get right. there. Uh, but before I let you run, we, we've seen about myself, the listeners, the watchers around the planet saw so many of your amazing interviews with Usain Bolt after just mm-hmm. some of his record-shattering and gold-medal-winning exploits in the Olympics over the years. So it'll be the first Olympics in a while without seeing Usain Bolt there, you know, just storming down the track. But there's an American sprinter who, who's starting to make a name for himself again, has been battling some injuries here in Trayvon Bromel. Is he the hands-down favorite in the men's 100? Um, I would say that Trayvon is uh probably the, the lead, you know, the favorite, you know, um, there'll be some other guys who are, who are, who are going to be there and be in the mix. But I'd say right now he is. And uh, again, I am very, very careful about predictions, even though I said mm. earlier that I thought that the men's once in hurdle world record will go because Grant almost broke it in the semifinals at the trials. Mm-hmm. And I think that the uh, women's 400 meter hurdle world record will go again because those two ladies will be in the final against each other as long as there's no hiccup and they'll do it. But uh, in terms of, of, of that, yeah, I mean, listen, anything can happen. You got to run the rounds. You got to be careful with the false starts. You know, you can't have any kind of cramping issue. It, it, it's so many different things go wrong. And just mm-hmm. imagine for people who watch the games, especially the 100 meters, you spend your years preparing, <clears throat> preparing for a race that lasts most likely less than 10 seconds. So imagine being pinned up in a hotel, uh, you know, on lockdown because of this uh, uh, continuing issue with the, with the pandemic in Japan. Uh, grateful that we're going to we'll have the games. Would it be waiting? for 23 hours and however many minutes it is, and you go and you warm up, and then you run this race that's less than 10 seconds. That's an incredible um, dichotomy of time, just where you, you're waiting most of the time, and your performance is a split second. So they all have to deal with that, not just the physical side of it, but the mental prep and staying sharp 
to be able to go out there and not false start and not get caught up in anything and, and perform well. And, and right now he's leading the way, but you, you're going to have to prove it uh, on that day. That's, that's the bottom line. He's on Twitter at Lewis Johnson MG. He is Lewis Johnson of NBC Sports. Before I let you run, Lewis, I'd love it if you could maybe give folks, uh, just paint a picture for them in a similar way to what you were able to do with Shakari Richardson and, and how you just have to navigate that moment when a race ends and especially once you hit the Olympic stage and, and how wrangling an athlete and making sure you've got the interview and, and NBC and, you know, not everyone is going to be traveling there over to Tokyo. That's the, the direction the industry has been heading anyway, and you add the pandemic into it, but you'll be there right. on site. That, that post-race moment where the athlete's coming up to you out of breath and emotional and everything, just what's that like? It's got to be exhilarating. It is it's, uh, very exhilarating, and first of all, it's just incredible to be trackside literally a few feet away from where the athletes are finishing and then watching all that happen. But there's a very, very, very big difference between what I do at the trials and the games. At the Olympic trials, I'm able to uh, have a little covered space, space with a monitor where I can watch everything, take my notes and watch it, and then step down off of that onto the track. And then I'm yelling and screaming and waving at folks and trying to get them to come and be in this position for this interview. Uh, in Tokyo, I have to stay in my position. So we have an international mixed zone. And they call it the mixed zone because that's where the athletes and the media mix. So once the athletes finish competing, then they come up the steps, wherever that will be. The first person will be the host broadcaster. So TBS from Tokyo, they'll be there first. And then I'm pretty sure we, NBC, will be second because we're the biggest rights holders beyond them. And so I will have to stay in my position, and they'll have to come to me. So they may be a little bit less out of breath by the time they get there versus (laughs) the trials where I'm grabbing them right afterwards and the folks look at me like I'm crazy. But I'm like, well... We have to do it now because we're off to the next event uh, when we go to commercials. So that's the biggest difference. But it is, it is an incredible spot, and I wish, I wish, Anthony, I could share the experience with people who really love sport or love the human interest stories because to stand there and talk with people in the most thrilling moment of their life where they've won a medal or something great has happened or the most devastating moment in their life where something hasn't gone wrong, it is, it is an incredible responsibility. Lots of prep and thought go into it. I'm already thinking about what will I ask Allison Felix, you know, mm. uh, off of her last race as an, as an Olympic athlete. I have to have a, questions that will match the moment, as I did for Usain Bolt or other people. So it, it requires a lot of prep, thinking, listening, and then trying to say what I need to say in the least amount of words to get the athlete talking. But uh, it, it's, it's a great responsibility, and I love every moment of it. And I'm looking forward to being there trackside in Tokyo. Well, you are outstanding at it, and there's a reason why you were there for those big moments at all times. I can't wait to watch you over there, man. Best of luck to you. Safe travels, and look forward again to to catching up, to working together, to hanging out and everything else, man. Thanks a lot, Lewis. That sounds great. And don't forget, folks, when the games are over a few weeks later, I'll be back over there for the Paralympic Games. And if you want to be inspired, watch the Paralympics. Unbelievable. If you don't shed a tear within the first broadcast, something's wrong with you, okay? I'm so glad you plugged that, too. No doubt, man. Lewis Johnson of NBC Sports. Thanks again, and you will find him all over the coverage of NBC, NBC Sports, their coverage of the Olympic Games. And, yes, I'm glad he mentioned the Paralympic Games as well. I'm Anthony Heron. I get to work with Lewis at NBC, a few different events, worked with the Pac-12 Network and all these other places over the years. But, yes, he is the man, and everything you heard there, the the gentleman that he is, the, the polite nature that's there, all that is legit. 
from Lewis. And make sure, and I'm sure you will be watching what's going on in track and field. Uh, but I am taking you up till 6 o'clock in the evening here, taking you up to Cody Decker, down the line with Cody Decker, presented by Circa Las Vegas Casino. That's going to be coming up at 6, leading you up to Cubs pregame later on this evening on the score. When I return here, it's an opportunity to take to open the phone lines up. want to hear from you out there. I did run down the list of the 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of the century. It's my list, not yours. If you got some complaints, you got some comments, you want to let me know where I messed up, who I should have included that I didn't, feel free to give me a buzz. To let you know again, at number 10, I had Zach Levine, number 9, Devin Hester, number 8, Duncan Keith, number 7, Chris Bryant, number 6, Brian Erlacher, number 5, Khalil Mack, number 4, Patrick Kane, 3, Julius Peppers, 2, Sammy Sosa, 1, Derek Rose. 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century. Feel free to give me a call, 312-644-6767, 312-644-6767, who would be on your list? of the most combustible athletes of this century in Chicago sports. Love to hear from you here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Six seventy The Score. Anthony Heron with you for about another half hour, taking you up to the 6 o'clock hour, and then you will have Cody Decker on. He's going to have Down the Line with Cody Decker, presented by Circa Las Vegas Casino. Coming up at 6 o'clock, he'll take you up to Cubs pregame, which will start at 6.30. So plenty of baseball will come throughout the evening. We discussed some baseball earlier on the show. There were a couple of baseball players that I listed for you, and I just tweeted it out again at Big Ant Heron, so folks could find the list there. I listed my 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of the century, and curious what you have to say about the list out there. And combustible can really be interpreted in a few different ways. 312-644-6767. 312-644-6767 is the number to call to get involved in the discussion. If you would like to do that, right now on the hotline, we've got John out in South Bend. Wants to give his thoughts on the combustible athletes list. John, how you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I'm outstanding. Appreciate you making the call. All right, long time listener, first time caller. Okay, great. Good to uh, good to make sure you get going here. Then, what do you got? You got to add two people, man. Dick two Buckus and Walter Payton. Oh, okay. Now, come so, on now. Now, how I ended up doing it, I hear you on that, John. What I ended up doing with this list because going all time, and this is actually part of it. Uh, my friend David Hawes, I was texting with him and a few other folks at the station and around just yesterday, kind of compiling some different thoughts for the list itself. Ended up paring it down, and David was one of the people who who made this suggestion. And a lot of the the names that I got in were people from this century, anyway. And David's suggestion was well. Doing all-time, doing the history of Chicago sports can be a very broad thing. And uh, I thought that made a lot of sense. So I, I pared it down to this century. So guys like Walter Payton, Dick Butkus, frankly, on the all-time list, I'm not sure I would have necessarily had them on that either because the athleticism of the players, the raw like horsepower of them as athletes, you know, frankly, Walter Payton isn't now he's the most productive and the greatest football player in Bears history, perhaps. It's probably not just in sheer athleticism, he's the most athletic running back the Bears have had when, you, you know, when you're facing, when you're basing it on, on that portion of it. So that's a reason why guys like Peyton Buck is now Gail Sayers, 
that's a player who obviously played well before this century that if I were basing the list all time, a, an athlete like Gail Sayers, you know, his career, of course, got, got cut short via the knee injury. But just in sheer, you know, the explosive speed and the elusiveness and the all-around ability that he showed, you know, because it takes different types of coordination to be not only a running back but an excellent pass receiver out of the backfield, a kick and punt returner, all the aspects of the, the skill positions in the sport of football that Gale Sayers did at a high level and that he did with the explosive speed and elusiveness and the inches of daylight and those things, th- that's where I think – you know, a guy like Gale Sayers, if I were doing an all-time list in Chicago, he's certainly a name that would have been worthy of inclusion on the list here. But for the purposes of this top 10, it was really just focused on, on this century, the last 21, or I guess if you include the year, the year 2000, it would just be the last, I suppose, 22 years at this point is what was included in that. 312-644-6767. Um, Brandon, I, I did want to get your thoughts here because I had sent the, the list to you and you compiled the sound and, and have had a chance to peruse things a little bit. Are there any things that you, you would describe as omissions or players that are a bit too high or a bit too low or perhaps not even a name that got omitted, maybe a name that doesn't belong in the top 10 of combustible athletes here in Chicago sports from this century? Why not Jonathan Taves? Like mm. why, why, why Duncan Keith? over Jonathan Taves? Good question. Good question. So as it relates to Jonathan Taves, like if I were doing, I don't know, top 15, definitely top 20, then Taves would make it for me. I think looking specifically at the hockey discussion, Taves strikes me as more of the guy like, you know, certainly an an elite level athlete, but with the top 10, being able to parse through which guy's physical ability because the greatness is there certainly for Jonathan Taves but which guys just just sheer physical talents are maybe unrivaled that's where I would put a Duncan Keith uh, ahead of him in that regard from the the power the precision the conditioning that Duncan Keith brings to the table and then you know Jay Zawaski and some others would have Taves ahead of Patrick Kane in that regard for me Patrick Kane between the speed and the elusiveness that he plays the game with, and frankly, the way that he's able to at, some, at times where he doesn't even have to make it look like he's even you know, trying that hard at all times to be really effective, to be a force on the ice. That, to me, is, is where I would put Patrick Kane in an enhanced category in that regard because it can at times even be frustrating for a guy who you know, doesn't necessarily always make it look like he's even having to try that hard to be able to perform at a high level, to make big-time plays. But Patrick Kane is able to do that. And so, you know, it sort of comes to a point where I'm trying to parse through and certainly wouldn't want to have like four or five guys from the same sport. I think uh, as I look at the list, what the, the amount of football players that had, you know, uh, had Devin Hester for football, Brian Erlacher for football, Khalil Mack and Julius Peppers. I had four football players, so that was the only sport where there were four guys from the one sport on there, admitting probably a bit of bias uh, along those lines as well. But I think that just sort of goes to show that having several individuals from any one sport is a difficult task for me as I'm just paring down the top 10 uh, for the athletes and the, and the most combustible, most explosive of the century. But overall, I think Jonathan Taves, if I was doing maybe a top 15, certainly a top 20, then, then Taves w- would be in that mix, you know, just looking at this century here. But didn't quite crack the top 10 for me just as I was kind of looking at it 
Anybody else stand out to you? Yeah, I see Julius Peppers really high on this list. Not saying he don't deserve <laughs> to be on there, but and and I see Zach. I know Zach is you know he's still new and stuff like that. That's why I think he's really low. But I feel like Hester should be a little bit higher. And is is it because Peppers is number three? Is it because he was a two way athlete? Is is that one of the thing that came into play with this? Yeah, I mean, just the, the all-around coordination, like a guy who could rush off of either edge with either hand, a guy who could do it with explosive speed, with combustible power, you know, not the biggest personality in the world, but just constantly making plays. And even the clip that you grabbed wasn't even necessarily him sacking the quarterback, but him being able to make a play on the ball as well. And certainly as a high-level hooper, an ACC basketball performer, had the ball skills to be able to do those types of things as well. So, like, you know, before – J.J. Watt, and, and for a period of time for both of their careers, while, while Pep was still sort of in the, at the height of his powers and J.J. Watt was really entering the height of his powers, both guys had, had a lot of similar elements to their games. J.J. Watt had a bigger personality, so there were elements of that that maybe came off as more marketable for J.J. Watt. But there were some of those seasons where Julius Peppers was doing similar things to J.J. Watt, like moving up and down the line and playing both sides and having power to dominate games, speed to dominate games. Should we use them on offense as well? All those types of things where, you know, Julius Peppers was, was sort of J.J. Watt shortly before J.J. Watt became J.J. Watt. So I think that, you know, when you think about what he became again in Green Bay, also, even after leaving Chicago and going to Green Bay and rushing out of a two-point stance, playing more of an outside linebacker position and being really effective at that, even though he'd never really done it before, they just said, all right, you know, you, you've been well over a decade in the league at this point. Why don't you come try rushing out of a two-point stance, even though you've never tried it? And folks can, if they haven't tried it, underestimate the difficulty of doing that. Julius Peppers just made it all, you know, I suppose in that Patrick Kane sort of manner, just found a way to make it all work and at times made it look easy and Certainly not quite effortless, but I think there, there's probably less appreciation than there should be for everything that Julius Peppers brought to the table as an athlete and as a playmaker. So like I was referencing, that top three between Peppers, Sosa, Rose, uh, I figured those would be names that would get a little bit more of a reaction out there. Certainly some reaction uh, coming in on the text line as well. Let's take one more time out. So I'm taking you up to 6 o'clock here on the score. Get some of the text line, some reaction. Also, a couple of thoughts I wanted to share with you coming off of one of the interviews that we did earlier. We'll do that next here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. We'll react to a couple of texts here before we give you one final thought as I'm on the way out here on the score. It's Tech Zone brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time, shop online at rosenhunday.com. I've been discussing here for the last uh, couple of segments uh, after my interview with Lewis Johnson earlier, talking about the Olympic Games, giving a bit of a preview on that, talking about the list that I put out throughout the show earlier of my 10 most combustible Chicago athletes of this century. Again, of this century. Uh, and the list I went through at 10, I had Zach Levine. Number nine, Devin Hester. Number eight, Duncan Keith. Number seven, Chris Bryant. Six, Brian Erlacher. That was 10 through six. And number five, at Khalil Mack. Number four, Patrick Kane. Number three, Julius Peppers. Number two, Sammy Sosa. And number one, Derek Rose. And I think Derek Rose is a great example of a guy who, yes, there were frustrations there because of the injuries that he dealt with. But leading into that, that injury-riddled end to his Bulls career, a guy who combined just otherworldly physical attributes with 
at being as productive as you could hope for for a, a point guard, two guard, whether he was a one or a two or different points within this Bulls offense, a lead guard. It's probably the, the best term for what Derrick Rose was and has been throughout much of his NBA career. So you had the athleticism and I think, you know, kind of like I talked about with Sammy Sosa, had a, a bit of an explosive effect on the franchise as well because there had been several seasons of frustration by that point before getting Derrick Rose number one overall and, and getting into his career here with the Bulls. But some of the reaction uh, coming in on the Tech Zone, you know, the 847 asking, what do you mean by combustible? And, and that's essentially what it comes down to. You know, you, you hear a lot of folks describe it, the terms they use for just talking about sheer athleticism, you hear athletes described as explosive. And sometimes, you know, when I'm on the air calling a football game or breaking things down after a Bears broadcast over on Fox 32, and I'll talk about the, the explosive nature of someone's speed or the explosive ability someone has to utilize their power. I talk about that a lot with Khalil Mack. And frankly, just using the term combustible as opposed to explosive is just a, a way to use a, a different verbiage in there. But really just talking in a positive way about the athleticism that they bring to the table. But there were a, a few folks on the text line reacting in a similar fashion to what some of the folks I was texting with uh, yesterday had about about this list or about this idea as well with, you know, a name like Aroldis Chapman, you know, thinking about the term combustible perhaps in, in a more in a more negative, a more pejorative kind of light. Like maybe this is somebody who just kind of blew up while they were here and, and bad things happened or didn't necessarily have the type of attitude that you would be looking for, like the 847 asking about Aroldis Chapman, had a few different folks like the 563 texting about Milton Bradley being one of those personalities perhaps who would be considered combustible. So that really is a, is a worthwhile list that really could have been done in utilizing combustible in that way for somebody whose attitude just kind of blew up during their time that they were here. A uh, funny text that came in from, from the, uh, the 847. Sammy's bat literally exploded. That is true. There was a point during Sammy Sosa's time here, and I believe that was after things crossed over into the, the 2000s there where he had the moment where he had a corked bat on the field, kind of reached out to get to a pitch, and the bat actually shattered on Sammy. He had these little marbles flying all over the infield, and you know they grabbed the bat, kicked Sammy out of the game, and, and the rest from that point uh, moved on. But I do think that, that as I worked up and through this list, it really stuck out to me that there's so many different ways that a term like combustible could end up being used. And so that, that's why I do think it was kind of a fun exercise to go through. Like, uh, you know, Lawrence, and I was texting with Lawrence Holmes about it a little bit. One really interesting name he offered up was Tommy Harris. And I think the, the period where Tommy Harris was at his best was maybe a little bit more brief, but um, you know, like I, I wouldn't put the career arc of Tommy Harris to the same in the same league as what Jonathan Taves is. But I would say just as far as a guy who, you know, specific to Chicago, who maybe if I was doing a top top fifteen for this century, then you know maybe Tommy Harris certainly a top twenty. I could see Tommy Harris, you know, being there cracking that top twenty for what he brought to the table as well. But there was a few different people that I was just kind of texting with and checking in and out, talking specifically about just how, you know, you, you end up doing a list like this. Like Olin Krutz, my, my partner on the post-post show after the Bears games. Now, Olin is a great player, Hall of Fame player for a center, certainly an above-average athlete for a center. Olin's personality 
may be one where you say just what Olin brought to the table as a tough guy, as an enforcer and things like that. You know, maybe you have an Olin Krutz, a Ron Artest, you know, some of these personalities that, you know, they can be, they can bristle at times. Maybe a little sandpaper to that personality. But I think Olin and, uh, and some of the guys like that, you know, now, now Olin was never accused of being somebody who was a bad teammate or anything like a Milton Bradley or like Ron Artest was at different points. Brandon Marshall. Like if I was viewing the list through, you know, what might be more of a, an explosive personality or a bristly kind of personality, somebody who's more fiery in their approach to things that I could see, like Olin being on, on that list for sure. Now, you know, I don't think we, we would expect Olin to beat many of the guys that I listed on, on here in a 40-yard dash, but that's not all that this is supposed to encompass when we're looking at it through that vein. Before I get out of here, i got a couple of minutes left. I did want to share one thing that, that I didn't get into earlier in the show. I'm sure a lot of you saw the, the story that's kind of percolated over the last couple of days here coming out of, of ESPN that relates to, uh, to Rachel Nichols and, and some of the comments that, that she's made about, about one of her coworkers at, at ESPN. And, you know, I don't know Rachel Nichols well. I don't know Maria Taylor at all. You know, never met either one of them. But from – from what I observe in this industry, what I've observed in a, from a professional sense and just thinking about it through the lens of, and you know, I can't speak for, for the entire African-American race, but just through, through my lens of how I've experienced the world, just thinking about what the audio that was heard from Rachel Nichols can be indicative of. And I, I talked about this a good bit even last year as mama mater, the University of Iowa was embroiled in controversy and the former strength coach, Chris Doyle, you know, and, and some of the things that, that Iowa athletes said they had gone through under the time that Chris Doyle was there as their strength coach and, and what they viewed as abusive language and racially charged language. I don't think necessarily every moment calls for where someone has to be defined as a racist to view it as though they did something that was very racially insensitive, did something that was wrong, perhaps even did something that rises to the, the extent of being a fireable offense. And I'm certainly in no position to say that Rachel Nichols should or shouldn't be fired, but the offense that can be felt from a moment like that, I feel like people tend to pare that down and try to simplify it too much to either she is a, an, an obvious racist and hates all black people, or she is somebody who should be fully exonerated and did absolutely nothing wrong. And that that's where a lot of mistakes, in my opinion, end up getting made and how people try to parse through situations like this. These are two very prominent people in the media industry, of course, both employed by ESPN. Their NBA Finals coverage begins really, what, just hours from now, essentially, as the Suns are going to take on the Bucks. And so, you know, who knows how ESPN is exactly going to work that situation out. But for me, as, as a black person in the media industry, as a black person who's been a sports executive and has held a lot of different jobs, both on camera, behind the camera, in the boardroom, and all these different capacities where – there is, there is frequently a question that can come up about if you, if you achieve a, a prominent position, if you beat out someone for another job, then whether or not the perception of that person is that they were the better individual for the job, shouldn't be any doubt about that. And there shouldn't be any issue taken with Rachel Nichols feeling like she was the better person for that task. But to assume that Maria Taylor got the opportunity simply because she's black, that's where the, the error in the audio, in the sound from Rachel Nichols comes. So whether or not she's an ally or whatever, or how many black friends she has, that doesn't necessarily matter within, within the lens of whether or not 
she was actually erring in her perception of Maria Taylor getting the opportunity that she had earned there. My thank you to all the guests who joined me on the show today. My guy Yogi Roth talking about Justin Fields, Corey Provis giving us a preview of Minnesota and the Chicago White Sox, and of course, Lewis Johnson just a little while ago with an Olympic track and field preview. Thanks as well to Brandon Fryer on the ones and twos for me throughout the evening, and thanks to all of you for listening to me, Anthony Heron, on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 